This is episode number 379 with Sahara Rose. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? If you use Instagram for your business like I do, you are going to love Tailwind. It's the social media scheduling tool that gets real results without the overwhelm in less time. Tailwind's Instagram planning app provides all you need to plan, schedule, and auto-post for the perfect Insta feed. It has tools like Nine Grid Preview, Carousel Post Scheduling, Instagram Story Post Scheduling, and Insights to see what's working and what's not. It's way more than a scheduler. It's an Instagram smart assistant, complete with smart features that help you take the guesswork out of growing your brand. I love their hashtag finder, which intelligently suggests the perfect mix of hashtags to grow your reach. And Smart Schedule automatically suggests the best times to post. How cool is that? And if Pinterest is more your thing, Tailwind Create is a brand new tool that allows you to create beautiful pins faster than ever before. You can go from idea to pin in just 30 seconds. Every image is unique and made just for you. You can generate, personalize, and fine-tune pins to drive traffic to your content. And Pinterest scheduling with Tailwind helps you grow your business with more traffic. To get $30 off your Tailwind subscription, head to tailwindapp.com forward slash Melissa today. Sahara Rose is an ancient soul in a modern body. Deepak Chopra said that she is a leading voice for the millennial generation into the new paradigm shift. Deepak also wrote the foreword for her books. She is a best-selling author of Eat Feel Fresh, The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, A Yogic Path, and her brand new book, Discover Your Dharma. She is also the host of the Highest Self podcast, the number one spirituality podcast on iTunes, and the founder of Rose Gold Goddesses. She is here to remind you of your purpose so you can embody your sacred mission on this planet. And in this beautiful conversation, we talk about everything that you need to know about how to find your true purpose in life, what she calls your dharma and why so many people struggle to find it. We also chat about the five stages of Dharma embodiment and how they can guide you towards your higher calling, the true impact on your body, mind, and spirit if you don't follow and live your Dharma. We also chat about if you're feeling resistance, whether that's internal or external, that's stopping you from living your purpose and what you can do about that, how you can actually overcome that without compromising your truth. We also talk about why we still crave our parents' approval and how it can stop us achieving fulfillment and what we can do about that. The three key ways to be of service and impact the world doing the things that light you up. 
how to call in your dharma through your seven chakras and get crystal clear clarity on what you should be doing with your life, her unique definition of success and how this has impacted her life decisions, the incredible power of journaling and her genius tips to start doing it today, plus so much more. This is her second time on the podcast and I'm so excited to have her back. And for everything that we mention in today's show, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 379. And without further ado, let's bring on my beautiful soul sister, Sahara Rose. My beautiful soul sister, welcome back to the show for the second time. Sahara Rose, I'm so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Ooh, well, I have been having this kind of like bulletproof inulin coffee, which is coffee inulin powder, which is a kind of fiber, vanilla collagen, and MCT brain octane oil with cinnamon, with this euphoria <laughs> herbal mix. And I, ha- I have that every day and it's like the best. I feel really full for a long time. And then I tend to eat lunch at like 4 p.m. and then maybe a snack at night. But like during these crazy book launch periods, it's so good because I just feel sharp and energized. Yes, that sounds delicious. And you'll be very proud of me. I had a very Ayurvedic breakfast this morning. I had kitchery. Love that. Beautiful. I know. I'm like, I need to be, it's like what happens when you're just so in the Dharma. It's just like all in. I'm like, to Stephen, my husband, I was like, we need a babysitter. We just need someone to like babysit us and, you know, because we're just like dishes and stuff everywhere because it's just like, I'm all in right now. But then I'll take a a little Ayurvedic retreat and have some kitchery. Yes. Beautiful, honey. Well, I am so excited to have you here to celebrate the launch of your brand new book. It is so beautiful. Discover Your Dharma. It is stunning and I have devoured it. It is called Discover Your Dharma, A Vedic Guide to Finding Your Purpose. And I loved this book for so many reasons, and I want to get to the practical side of things in our conversation today. But as I was reading it, I was thinking about all of our conversations that we've had around purpose over the years. I released my first Audible original book called Purposeful, and you and I, we speak the same language. And it's so important that we find our dharma, we find our purpose, and we live it every day. But for people who are maybe new to the word dharma, can you explain what that is? Because they might be like, what are they talking about? What is dharma? So can you explain what that is? Yeah. So your dharma is your soul's purpose. It is the big reason why you are here. It's the unique energy in which only you can emanate. So it's more so how you do things than what you do. So I like to think of it like a company's mission statement, like I'm here to be a bridge between two cultures, or I'm here to connect women back to their hearts, or I'm here to show people that healing is possible, et cetera. And then underneath that mission statement are the services of the careers, roles you can play, jobs, et cetera. So your dharma is 
much more overarching like that. It can't just be defined by one career, one job, one role, but really it's the red thread that connects everything that you do and the unique energy in which you bring to it. So a beautiful example is we've both written books about purpose, but my lens and my framework due to my childhood and my ancestry and my experiences and my dharma is going to make me express it in a unique lens from which you will. So I think a lot of people get stuck of like, I must not have a purpose because because, you know, someone else is already doing the kind of thing that I want to do, or I haven't had this instrumental experience in my life, et cetera. And I really go through that in the book, but your Dharma is the unique lens in which you see the world and that which you can share with others. Yeah. And everyone's is different. Yes. And everyone has one. Every single person has one. If you were born on this planet, you have a purpose. There are no accidents. There are no extras. We are all parts of this jigsaw puzzle called life. And it's really our only true responsibility in this lifetime is to help figure out what that is. And that that figuring out is not mental. It's not something that's outside of you. It's not something that like, I used to think I'm going to go find my purpose. Like I got to go find it somewhere. And I would literally ask people like, so do you know what my purpose is? Like, I just didn't know. <laughs> I would ask random people. And I think of your Dharma more as like your naked body. And then you were born being your purest self, your fullest expression, who you are, who you were meant to be. But then you go to school and they put on some hats and jackets on you telling you to be like this and behave like that. And then your parents put these socks and these gloves on, like, don't be too loud. Only these kind of things will make money. And then before you know it, you're wearing all of these layers upon layers upon layers. And you think that this is yourself, but truthfully, your Dharma is the remembering. It's the deconditioning, the unraveling, the letting go, looking at this hat, you know, what's this limiting belief I have around money? What is this thing I'm holding on to from my childhood? What is this thought pattern that does not serve me anymore? And the more that you can let go of everything in which you are not, you can step into who it is that you truly are. Mm, it's like, yeah, taking off all of these layers that people have put on you, the hat that someone gave you, that the, the coat that your great aunt gave you that said, this will look good on you. Try this on, wear this. It's like, hang on. Does this feel good for me? So it's like stripping back all of those layers to get to the skin, the root of what our true calling is. And I love that we both say like everyone has one. Every single person has a purpose here. And it's not about running to India or Bali or anywhere else to try and find it. It comes from within. And we need to take that time and that space to do that inquiry to discover what it is. So for someone listening who's like, okay, I get it. We all have one, but where do I start? You give so many practical tools and tips and tricks on how to discover it, how to uncover it. I feel like every high school student, you know, at the end of this episode, I'm going to ask you what book to put in every single high school. I feel like Imagine if every single student, 15, 16-year-old read this book and worked out what it was that they wanted to do and were meant to do. I just think, oh my gosh, we'd save so much money on college fees and degrees and university doing things that we don't want to do that we think our parents want us to do. So where do you start? 
Yeah. So that was my biggest question of, okay, I know I have this purpose, but what do I do? And I would read these spiritual books and they were like, follow the path of least resistance. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because if my mom followed the path of least resistance, she wouldn't have fled from her country and escaped a war or that homeless person in India wouldn't have gotten out of poverty. And, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. If I'm following the path of least resistance, I'll probably just get married to some guy. My parents want me to get married and just continue the norm. So I realized that truly sometimes to follow the path of least resistance, first you have to follow the path that you are the most resistant to. And that are your limiting beliefs, your roadblocks, your soul's unique curriculum. Because just because you were born with a purpose does not mean you're ready to embody that purpose. The embodiment comes from you looking at the obstacles you've overcome, the lessons. Your family is often the microcosm of the very problem in which you're here to solve. And looking at that of, okay, if this earth is a school and this is my curriculum, what is it teaching me? What is it training me? What am I getting a first row look on? You know, for me, it was female suppression and patriarchy. For someone else, it could be addiction. For someone else, it could be feeling disconnected from your emotions. But in Vedic concepts, we chose those experiences so we could learn through them and they actually train us to then embody our dharmas. So I have so many different systems, but I have these five stages of dharma embodiment. And I feel like it's a really good place to start of what stage you are on right now. Now, that first stage is the self-awareness, feeling like something needs to change. I see the trajectory in which my life is taking, and I don't like the direction it's going. So I know something is off. I don't know what I'm going to do, but something needs to change. And that's where that seed of your dharma is planted. The next stage is you go on self-improvement. How can I be the best version of myself? Fitness, you know, meditation for helping with anxiety, personal development, self-help. Maybe you go to Tony Robbins seminars. You're really trying to make yourself the best version of you. And this is a really necessary step for people to take because I think some people want to go into the 5D and they haven't quite mastered the 3D, you know, like what's going on with our bodies, our health, our homes, our families looking at these things around us and trying to bring them into, you know, we're never going to be totally healed or totally balanced, but really looking at these things that are showing up for us and asking ourselves why. So for me, it was my own health journey and going through learning about Ayurveda, using it to heal myself. But then you reach this realization. And this realization is when you realize that you are not a mind or a body that needs to be improved, but rather you are a soul that you get to learn about. So instead of trying to improve yourself, your focus shifts to getting to know yourself. Who am I? And that's when you may, you know, ask yourselves deeper questions, listen to this podcast. Maybe you get into astrology or human design or Myers-Briggs or Enneagram, but you just really realize that if I don't know who I am, then how am I going to ever live a life that's in alignment with my truth? And I was never broken to begin with. I've always been whole. So this concept of something's wrong with me. I need to fix it. I need to get better at being me kind of dissolves and it's more honoring who I am and getting to know myself more. And what naturally happens next from that stage is finding the tools of the practices that work for us. So these tools in our practices, it's like the TM, the Transcendental Meditation for for you and Nick. For someone else, it could be Buddhism. For myself, it was like the Vedic concepts, the goddesses. We find the things that work for us. 
Because often what happens before that is you have the awakening, you have the, oh my God, I'm a soul in a human body, but it can be really hard to live in this world. And you may feel a lot of separation between yourself and the world around you. And like, this world is crazy. How am I going to survive this? And you know, a lot of people experience like the ascension symptoms or like feeling like they're having this brutal awakening or that they're going crazy. And that's just because you've realized that so many of your beliefs were not even your own. So it feels like this veil has been lifted above you and you're like, wait, I don't know what to do. So that stage can actually be the loneliest because you're like, I don't have any friends to talk to about this stuff. I don't know what to do next. And you may feel like I need to escape. For myself, I was like, I need to get out of America because, you know, for me, I would write these poems. I'm like, we live in a box. The cubicle is a box. The car is a box. The shopping mall, it's all a box. We are boxed in. And like, but that was me expressing that stage three of, I know I'm the soul, but I don't know what to do with it. Now, when you find your tools and you find your practices, you begin to experience more integration with the world around you. And then it's no longer the separate thing, but it's really, okay, I'm here. I'm a part of this world. There's definitely a lot of improvement that can happen to this society. And I'm here for a reason. I'm here as a human in this body for a reason. So you begin to go deeper into, you know, maybe this has to do with something that's like deeper ancestral, or maybe this has to do with like something you begin to look further within deepening your tools, deepening your practices. And at this stage, you may feel like you're living a double life who you are at work, and then who you are outside of it. You know, maybe you have a job that used to serve you. Maybe you sold vacuums or something. And before you were like, yeah, it's cool. Like, I like vacuums. But now you're realizing, like, you maybe have these musical abilities that you want to share music. You want to learn everything about music. You're obsessed with music. But you're living this double life where you're talking about vacuums all day. Or maybe you're really into spirituality that your free time, you're listening to this podcast and you're looking up your human design chart, and you're learning about Reiki and Ayurveda, but then you have this job that feels totally disconnected. So this stage is really about finding your own voice and finding your own channel. You know, what is my unique expression of these things that I'm learning about? So then you find your own version of it. And it could be, you know, your own version of drawing or your own version of being an architecture. It doesn't necessarily mean teaching by any means. I have these different archetypes, but you're finding your own spin on things. And it becomes less of a, I learned this, so I'm going to repeat that. And it's more, here's my interpretation. And in this stage, you gain more confidence around what it is you're doing, which allows you to build more momentum. And from this stage, we eventually lead to that stage five. And stage five is the full Dharma embodiment when you are you full-time, who you are on the inside and outside are meeting. So it no longer feels like the separation or this lack of integration, but you are an embodiment of what it is that you were born to do. And really the big shift here is the focus moves from me to we. So in the former stages, the focus has to be on me. You have to learn how to take care of yourself, your practices, your boundaries, all of these things. However, when you move into your dharma, the things that fuel you shift. For example, when I'm doing these podcasts, at the end of the day, I'm like, I want to do an IG Live now. Like, I want to keep going. That's fueling me so much because I'm gaining energy from something that's so much greater than me. I'm, I'm living my soul's purpose. So when it shifts from me to we, you realize that anything that's holding you back from your dharma is holding you back from serving humanity. So in this stage, you really look at what are the friendships that are not serving me? 
What are my household products? What is my home environment like? What is my relationship like? Like you really got to take a solid inventory of every aspect of your life because you see anything that's kind of tinging you down is going to withhold you from being the fullest expression of who you are. So there's a lot of up-leveling that happens with this, but your dharma comes first. It's your primary responsibility and knowing that everything gets to serve that. And living your dharma is knowing every single day that you are sharing your gifts, that you are in alignment with your truth, and that you are being honest with where you are at in your journey at this time. Because sometimes it shifts and these stages aren't linear. Sometimes you really find a sense of purpose and then you go through another stage three of up-leveling and learning more, and then you go through it again. So I like to think of it more as a spiral. When we think of a hierarchy or a ladder, it's I go here and then I ascend further and I ascend further, but it's more of a spiral of, you know, a spiral spins and spins. We look at our childhood, we look at our career, we look at our relationships, we go on, live our lives, and then we come back to those same things with a deeper understanding. And then we go on and then we come back to them again and it keeps deepening and deepening and deepening and it never ends. And that's what living your dharma is like. It's not this one-time fix of, okay, I'm here. I'm living my dharma. That's it. Bye, y'all. It's more like a mountain range that you get to that first peak. That first peak is the most difficult because you've never felt that point of alignment before. You don't even know what it's like. You don't even know if it exists. You've never heard anyone go to the summit. So it definitely takes the most energy. But then once you get to that first peak, you see it's a mountain range and it keeps going and it keeps going. So your dharma is not this one-time role that you play, but it's to continue to, to really honor the involvement of who you are and to take action to allow that involvement of you to continue to blossom. Beautiful. What is the price that we pay if we don't follow and live our dharma? What's the consequence? So if you ask most people what's the meaning of life, they would probably say to be happy, right? You know, it's life is to be happy. But what I realized is that, in my opinion, the meaning of life is not to be happy, but happiness is the byproduct of living your purpose. And it's not until you're living your purpose that you can experience true happiness because there will forever be that void. And you can fill that void with booze and drugs and parties, or you can fill it up with yoga retreats and meditation and crystals. You choose your poison, girl, you know? But that void is going to continue to be there until you really ask yourself, why am I here? And truthfully, you don't have to find your dharma. You have free will. No one's forcing you. But you're going to forever live with this wondering of what could I have become if I had honored those little nudges within my soul. And from a Vedic perspective, if you don't live your dharma in this lifetime, you're going to have to come back and do it again. (laughs) So might as well get it in this one. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I know a lot of people, and I hear this, and I'm sure you hear this as well a lot. People say to me, but my parents think I'm crazy, or my siblings think I'm crazy, and that this idea that I have, or my dharma is silly or stupid. You share a really amazing story in the book, and I love this story so much. You met a lot of resistance from your parents. Like, you met a lot of resistance. They were pretty much going to disown you if you followed your Dharma. So, can you talk to that? Because I know so many people have parents or partners 
or friends that are not supportive of their dharma? What can we do about it? So it's interesting because it's like we're wired for this confrontation because a parent's biological instinct is to protect their young. You know, as now a soon-to-be mom, I'm sure you can already feel this protection you feel towards your baby. That's your job now. And humans, you know, desire is to experience this world and experience their full potential. So these two desires are at odds. Here I am trying to experience my full potential, and here you are trying to protect me. So oftentimes as well, because our parents grew up in a completely different generation, the baby boomer generation, that was really about being tough, surviving, fitting in, not feeling bad for yourself, moving on. On top of that, my parents were immigrants and refugees who fled a war. So add that survival, fear, all of this. And then on top of that, it's me. (laughs) So it was just a, a huge, huge polarity there. And my parents wanted me to be safe. And in doing so, they didn't care if it confined me because they didn't know what the opposite side of that was. So when I went through my own health issues and I learned about Ayurveda and studied it, became an Ayurvedic practitioner. I so deeply wanted to share this wisdom with the world. I knew there were people like me who had health issues and that this could help them. However, they were like, no, 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 this is not a job. You're not going to make money doing this. Like, this is like a pastime hobby thing. Like, grow up. Like, you're still doing this? And I'm like, no, I really want to share this book. It can happen. They're like, you are delusional. You're going to be a starving artist. You're going to end up homeless. Who do you think you are? And it continued to get more and more severe to, you are selfish. We risked everything for you. We sacrificed our life and this is how you repay us. You only think about yourself. You can't just do this one thing for us. That one thing being me not living my truth. You know, it's not really a one little thing. But for them, they were so afraid of not knowing where I was going to go, that I would end up homeless, that I would end up risking these years of my life towards this like book on the subject they didn't even understand. And they had never, none of us had even met an author before. So they thought I was going crazy. And I also wasn't sure if their beliefs were right or not. You know, I would see these people who are like, yeah, follow your heart. But they were also broke too. I had like $200 to my name. And so I'm like, you know, I lived in a hut in India that had rats in it. Like I'm also not wanting to live in there forever either. But I knew seeing my dad, he did all the right things and was still so unhappy with his life that even if I get the job as the real estate agent that they want me to be or a pharmacist or whatever else they want me to do, I'm still not only going to not end up happy, but never even end up getting their approval. So it was a battle of back and forth and not knowing if I was delusional, if I was believing in the Santa Claus that doesn't really exist, if they tell you to follow your dreams as a kid and then you grow up and you're like, no, that was bullshit. You were not supposed to believe that. Or if There was a deeper reason of why I wanted to share this, and I didn't have a clear answer. So one of the stories I share in the book is just this confrontation I had with my dad that he was really saying to me all of my deepest fears that you're a loser, you're a failure, I want nothing to do with you, you are not my daughter anymore, I never want to see you again. And at this moment, I went down to my childhood like playroom and I looked at my toys. I was like, was this just all a lie? Why did they even do this when here I am being me and this is how I'm being treated? And I was just crying, like on my knees, crying, 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 just so hurt, so alone, so feeling like no one loves me, no one cares. I'm a mistake. 
And in this moment, this feeling of numbness came over me and this feeling that, you know what? If I'm dead to him, then I have no one to live for but myself. And I realized in that moment, I became unfuckwithable. I I don't care. I don't care anymore because I'm never going to be enough in your eyes. So I went out. I was doing my shamanic shaking practices in the suburbs where everyone thought I was batshit crazy. And I came back a couple hours. I'm like, I'm booking a flight. I'm going back to India. They're like, you're going back to India. Are you crazy? Like, you know, all their stuff again. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going back. And I think they could feel this level of like, there was no more questioning. There was no more, hey, I think it's a good idea. It was just, I'm out. And if you want me in your life, cool. If not, that's also cool. But I want me in my life. So I went back for that next year and it was really a process of looking at all of my beliefs and like, hey, are those mine or are those from someone else's? And all these things, like even in a relationship of if you like some guy, you got to play hard to get because guys don't like girls who are interested too. You can never make money doing what you love to all of these different things. And it was really this process of deconditioning and unraveling and trying to find a way for me to live in alignment with my gifts while not compromising my truth. And in those years and those lessons that I learned are now the teachings that I share in this book, archetypal wisdom, going through limiting beliefs and different blocks, et cetera. And eventually I went on to write that Ayurveda book and it went on to become a bestseller. And Deepak Chopra has written three forwards to my books. And, you know, I'm far more successful than I would have been as the real estate agent that they wanted me to be. And the beautiful pivoting moment was they came. I wrote about them in the book and that was pretty, because a lot of our parents are private people, especially my own. But they asked me, how can I find my Dharma too? And that's the effect that you can have on your life when you focus on living your own. I have full body goosebumps. What? They actually asked you that? That is amazing, babe. Wow. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we don't realize that the first half of our lives is often our parents are our teachers. And then the next half or beyond is we are their teachers. And now I'm so grateful for those experiences because they made me strong. They made me believe in myself. They made me unquivering in my faith, which are things that you really need doing the type of work that me or yourself are doing. Because you get loads of negative comments or reviews or whatever else. And if you let that prevent you, you're never going to be able to move forward. So my soul's curriculum signed me up for that experience. And my parents were like, well, why don't you talk about like going to summer camp or something happier? Like, you know, sometimes that generation's like, why are you focusing on the negative? But I'm like, you know what? I'm so grateful you sent me to summer camp. And I'm the most grateful that you doubted me because I needed that. I needed to become strong. Yeah. Wow. Wow. At such a young age, it's amazing that you had the awareness to see that even if you did become a real estate agent like your dad wanted you to, that you would still not get his love and approval. Like that was his stuff. And I think I've seen it so many times where the parents want the child to become the doctor or the lawyer and they do it out of obligation. They study for years and then only to realize that I actually don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be an artist or whatever it is. And 
They didn't have the confidence and the level of awareness to see that their parents' approval was this non-existent thing. Yeah, it's like a moving target. Yeah, exactly. It's a moving target. It'd just be another thing. But it's amazing that you had that level of awareness at such a young age to see, hang on a minute. Okay, so even if I do do that, I'm still not going to get his approval. So I just want to like acknowledge you for that because at such a young age, you had that level of awareness. You had that light bulb moment on the floor with your childhood toys going, I'm going to just do this anyway because I love me and I honor me and I want to move forward with my life. And I know that this is my soul's purpose and I've got to follow it. So at such a young age, that's amazing. I want everyone to have that confidence and that assuredness within themselves. Well, I would look at I would look at their energy, you know, my dad coming home from work angry every day and then sitting on his desk, opening up all these bills and grunting and just being so angry that now he has to pay all these bills and never taking a vacation and always having more work to do and always staying up late. And it's just like, for what? You could retire now and you still have, like still to this day, he's almost 70 years old and in a couple months and he still can't take a vacation. And then I would see these people in Bali who are the total opposite, who are like living on this vacation and doing yoga and like so lighthearted. But then I would see that their constant struggle was the money piece of, you know, I really want to do this ecstatic dance thing, but I don't have the money for it. I don't have the money. So it was so hard for me to see like, where's the balance between this? Like, where's the person who's happy and fulfilled and doesn't have this like looming money issue happening? And at that time, there felt like very few people, but now thanks to the internet, we have access to see these beautiful expanders for us to help us see that it is possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important to find expanders, like who are your career expanders, who are your relationship expanders, who are your health and fitness expanders, who are your mum expanders, mumpreneur or whatever it is, and look at these people in your life and get to know them, follow them, ask them questions. But it's really important that we look at for those expanders and go, well, there's another way. And if that person is doing it this way, then that means that it's possible for me too. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. I love in the book, you talk about chakras. You talk about the nine Dharma archetypes. You've got a Dharma blueprint. I feel like this book is so practical. It's not a book where you kind of read it and go, oh yeah, I'm inspired to live my purpose. You don't close this book and go, I don't know how. I was like, I need everyone to find their dharma who reads this book. And you know what? It was because for me, again, I would read these spiritual books and they're like, you matter. I'm like, okay, now what? So I was like, I need everyone to read this book to walk away. Like, here's what I'm going to take action on. Here's who I am. Here's what I'm excited about. Here are the mediums I'm the best at. Because I feel like there's this huge discrepancy, especially with like spiritual conscious people who have these beautiful ideas, but they're not out into the world because they're not focusing on them. They're not taking action on them. So I really wanted this to be a book that when you're done reading it, you know exactly what it is to put your energy towards. So yeah, and I love a good quiz and I love a good framework. (laughs) Yes. For anyone who wants to get it, there's lots of quizzes, there's lots of areas where you can explore, where you can dive deep. And I love that. I think it's really important that we don't just read a book, close it, and then go, that was great. It's like, well, what did I learn from that? 
actually pull out your journal and make notes and do the exercises in the book if you really do want to live your soul's purpose. And like we said before, everyone is capable of that. It is our birthright and it's our purpose is to find our soul purpose and to share it with the world. And another thing you talk about, which I love and which I share about as well, is is service. So how does service come into living our dharma? So like I mentioned, that stage five is the transition between me and we. We being being of service to greater humankind. So I break it down into these three different ways that we can be of service in relation to the Ayurvedic doshas or archetypes. So the vata way, the air way, is service through ideas. You are someone who shares ideas, maybe it's podcasts or it's raising awareness on issues or it's through art or poetry or making people think about the world in a different way. And this is really important. I used to think that being of service means you got to be like at the soup kitchen, like giving food, like that's what service can only look like. And then I realized according to my gifts and my archetype being the visionary teacher, the greatest way I can be of service is to change the way that people think. But for someone else, it could be very much them in the soup kitchen or them holding someone's hand, et cetera. So that Vata way is more on the idea realm. The Pitta way, the fire way is through action. So let's say we're like, I want to help the environment. The Pitta is more entrepreneurial. They're more pragmatic with how they see things. So they'll be like, okay, We're going to create a bamboo straw company to reduce plastic straw consumption by 200% by the year 2030. We're going to shoot these targets from Q1 to Q4, so 15% decrease of plastic consumption in this category per year until we hit our target and we're going to reevaluate every year to make sure we're on track. Like That's how they would see things, very systematic, like analytical, and that's how they're going to bring about change. So they can go about being of service to like Tom's Shoes. Like Let's set up a business that is very profitable and sustainable and gives a free pair of shoes to people in need or helping offer an upcoming entrepreneur your business tips or sharing them for free on the internet or whatever else it looks like, but letting people benefit from some of these analytical skills that you have. And then the kapha, the earth way of being of service is through connection. So through connecting deeply with people, listening to their stories, I think all of us really just want to be listened to. So maybe it's life coaching or career coaching, or even just listening to your friend vent for an hour and like holding space for them going through a process or helping a lot of moms right now going through it with this quarantine and being at home and feeling isolated or working on a hotline or whatever else it looks like, but using your natural empathy skills to be of service. And the world truly needs all. We can only come into balance when we have the air, the vata, the pitta, the fire, the kapha, the earth. And the point is that your highest form of joy is also your highest form of service. So service doesn't have to be sacrificial. It doesn't have to be like, I used to think, okay, I guess I'll have to join the Peace Corps. I guess I'll have to become a nun. Like I have to do something like really dramatic that I hate. And the more, like I used to say, I'm going to become a human shield and move to the Congo and stand in front of a bulldozer and they're going to kill me, but I'm going to save a village. And that's me living my dharma. That was actually my my goal for real. Like I was just very, I would like handcuff myself to things. Like I was just a hardcore activist growing up. And then I realized that that's not going to allow me to make a lasting change because guess what? That bulldozer is going to run me over and then the next village will need it. So I think that sometimes we think that 
service is sacrificial. Service needs to be, I sacrificed my well-being for you and this is what it looks like. Whereas when it's related to your highest form of joy, it is endless. You will want to do this for the rest of your life because guess what? You're feeling good doing it. And that's how source designed you, whatever you want to call it. Wouldn't it make sense for the way that you feel the most alive and inspired to also be the way in which you help humanity? Like that is how perfect the design is. It's not about doing something you hate and trying to fit that role. It's about really sharing who it is and what you love. Mm. I love in the book that you gave the three different types of service. I was like, yeah, I'm that pitter. I'm the one that's like, yes, let's do this. Let's create this. Let's go. Just something recently that we've started doing is being part of a local cleanup. So like Nick and I are out there on the beach cleaning up rubbish and want to just do that. Like we want to be physical. We want to be tangible. We're like, right, let's do it. Let's get people together. Let's meet once a month, every Saturday. Let's do it. So I love that. It's really helpful. And another thing that I loved throughout the book was how you integrate the chakras into discovering your dharma. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the chakras are the energy wheels within the body, and we have seven of them, and they represent both psychological and somatic symptoms. So in the book, I talk about using your chakras as actually a way to channel your dharma, to bring your dharma into reality. So we can all feel that moment where we have an idea. The idea hits, right? Like, I'm going to create a CBD chocolate company. Like, wouldn't that be so cool? The idea hits. It's this ping. It's the spark that you get. And then you start to think about it. Now, this is the third eye. The ping is the crown. The, the thinking is, is this going to work for me? Is it not? Is right now the right time for it? You know, what would the branding look like? What would the look and feel be like? What would the colors be like? So you're intuiting it, bringing in your own mental thoughts to the process. And then from that space of receiving the download, thinking about it, you begin to share it, express it. Maybe write a business plan or a book proposal. Maybe you share it with a friend or discuss it in a mastermind group or something. But you're now taking this intangible idea and starting to give it some form. And this is the throat chakra. From there, you know how it is when you write something down. You start to get excited about it. You're like, oh my goddess, think about all the people in chronic pain who could have my CBD chocolates. Think about how it could impact them. Think about the children who can't have normal candy and this could be the thing for them. And you start to feel so much passion and love for this thing. And this is the energy of the heart. It's like the ignition under the fire. It's that spark. And from that place of feeling so much love and so much excitement, you can't help but to do. It is oozing out of you. And naturally, you fall into the solar plexus, the doing, the action, the getting the business off the ground, hitting publish on that sales page, getting your product going, sending it out, the fulfillment, the customer service, all of the things that it takes to actually bring a business or a career or a job or whatever it is to fruition. So the solar plexus phase is really like the transformation. This is now the pitta stage. It's when we take now this idea that we love so much and bring it out to the world. So it's like the digestion, that takes food and metabolizes it into energy. Now, this phase is a very important one to be in. And if we stay in it for too long, we can end up getting burnt out. And what this looks like is 
well, I got this business off the ground and I have customers, I have clients, so I can't give up on it. And even though it's not really inspiring me and I'm not really sure if it's in alignment with who I am now, I can't give up on it because I worked so hard to get here. And that's when you keep holding on and holding on. And then that plate gets smoldering hot that it's burning you, but you're like, no, I got to keep going. There's a demand. It's off the ground. Keep, keep holding on to it. And this is when you got to get into the sacral chakra. The sacral chakra is the sacred pause. It's the space. It's looking at it from a third's eye perspective. So who am I now in this process? You know, you change so much taking an idea off the ground. So who am I now? How have my interests shifted? How have my experiences have made me want to focus on something else? And you can only find that when you step away because when you're on that hamster wheel of go, 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 It's hard to even see things from another perspective, but we get our best ideas when we're on a walk or in a bath or camping or or doing something else. So that sacral chakra is finding, again, the creativity in it, the pleasure in it, making it something that you really do want to do. And from that place of finding that, it births into the root chakra. And this is now an idea that is greater than you, that takes its own legs and its own form. So it may become a movement or something that can sustain itself, or you may birth it out to the world and that was your process with it. You were like the doula for your dharma, and now it's someone else's dharma to take that thing over from then on. Or it may enter the crown chakra stage again, that it becomes the 2.0 version. And like, hey, I birthed this thing off the ground and here's how I'm going to shift it. And it goes through that process of the chakras again. So I love to look at this as a compass in which we can always see our dharma and breaking it down into the three doshas, the idea, vata, the execution, pitta, and the reevaluation, kapha. Idea, execution, reevaluation. And it helps us see where am I stuck? Am I stuck on the idea? Then take action. Am I stuck on a lot of action, but I'm not really loving this? I'm feeling burnt out. Go to the reevaluation. Or am I feeling like I've been in this pause for far too long and I don't know what to do and I've lost momentum? Go into the idea. But I see a lot of people, they try to stay in this pitta, this doing stage forever when another variation of their dharma is waiting to be born, but you're not giving it space to. I love that. I've never looked at it through the chakras like that. And I love it because it really does go, okay, yeah, where am I stuck? Where is it not flowing? And I can take myself through all of the chakras. And I just love it. So that is one of the things that I absolutely loved about the book. And I highly recommend anyone who is wanting to discover what it is that they're meant to do in this world, that you read this book and take action on all of the exercises and the quizzes and everything that Sahara offers in the book, because it is so incredible. And if you do it properly, you will close this book and you'll know what you're meant to do which is amazing. Yeah. I feel like you're in this beautiful coffin nurturer stage right now. Yes. Such a different stage. You know, I've been in Pitta, go, 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 go for like 10 years, like achieve, 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 do all of these things. But now it's like, yeah, I'm definitely reevaluating. And as I birth my child, going into that more nurturing, that kapha phase. And I'm excited to make that my mission, my purpose for a time being, you know, still do the things that I love, but I'm so excited to step into that role. 
Mm, and then with that sacred pause, naturally a higher version of your dharma will appear to you. And then you're going to, I don't know how old your kid will be. It could be six months, could be 10 years old, but you're like, ah, oh, here's this idea that now I'm really inspired to take action on. But it's letting that happen to you naturally without forcing it. Yes, 100%. I'd love to hear now, what is your definition of success? What is success to you? And what do you attribute your success to? Mm, Success to me means alignment in that area of your life. So success could look in so many different ways and depending on your archetype, et cetera, look differently. But what would that most aligned version look like? Success in the relationship would look like we have great communication skills and we have fun and we still play together. Success in my business could look like I've achieved this income milestone or whatever else it looks like. But to be really honest about what success looks like and that alignment for you, I think we so often just think success is like, okay, well, here's the next pedestal. So I should want to go over here. Whereas that thing might not be in alignment with you in all areas of your life because it may require you to show up in these different ways. I'll share an example that I was offered to be on this TV show. And to me, that looked like, oh, that looks like the next version of success. I've never done TV. I wrote wrote books, have a podcast. But I know myself and I hate repeating lines. I hate being on a set all day. I hate taking direction from people. I literally hate (laughs) these things. So I'm like, wait, why am I even showing up for these like audition calls? Nothing. Because I think that this is what success should look like, but it's not what my success looks like. So I just told them no. And they were like, really? Like this show is going to be like a big show on healers. And I'm just like, this is not what my version of success looks like. And not to say that I will never do TV again. I know myself, I will have to be the creative producer of the show (laughs) for me to be in it because I don't do well. Yeah. Taking directions from people. Yeah. It's good that you're aware of that. And you know, that even though society says success is this, you've tuned in with yourself and you're like, but that doesn't feel true and good for me. And I'm the same as you. Long shoot days? No, I've been there. And saying something and like having to repeat it again and again, I'm like giving a 30 minute thing. They're like, okay, from the top, I'm like, no, it was good. Like, just hold on to that. But some people love it. Some people are like, wait, can I say it again? I I thought of a better way of saying it. Like some people really love that. So that's perfect for them. So it's to, it's to trust. And sometimes that comes with trial and error. Sometimes you try something and you realize it's not for you. I've tried so many things and then realize it's not for me, but then it's once you have that, how can you smoothly navigate away from it and towards what it is that you want? Exactly. I love that. What's bringing you the most joy in your life right now? Honestly, sharing this book, writing a book is such a process and you spend so much time alone in your head and you're like, are people going to like this? Does this make sense? Will this resonate? And you can go on these like mental loops over and over again. So the fact that now this is kind of in that solar plexus sacral chakra phase that it hasn't like quite burst out into the world. So I just don't know how it's going to be received. And there's always a level of anxiety when you put your art and you put your stories out there of like, oh my God, people are also going to hate it. And the people pleaser in you always shows up, but I'm so excited about letting it birth and and seeing the life that it takes. Cause I'm sure you can attest to whenever you put a creative project out there, you could have never predicted the direction it would move. Never. Never. Or whose hands it's going to get into. Yes. 
and who it's going to inspire. And it's just magic. Once you birth the book or the art or the song or whatever it is out into the world or the blog post or the Instagram post, the eyes and the ears that it lands in front of, it's perfect. And it's going to inspire them in a different way that will inspire someone else. And we have to just let go and just trust that it'll go where it needs to go. Mm, 100%. So yeah, it's exciting times. So good. What are you working on within yourself at the moment? You shared a couple of things in the book. You shared your deepest secrets in the book. I think there was five of them. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yes. (laughs) I just really went for it. I'm like, okay, put it all out there. (laughs) Yeah. Sharing that stuff is big. I have vulnerability hangovers after every book I put out and that anxiety. And I'm like, Nick, did I share too much? Should I have shared that story? And he's like, babes, it's too late now. (laughs) It's already out there. But like, you've got to let it go. But yeah. so. What is something that you're working on or would like to work on within yourself at the moment? Because we're always growing and evolving. So I'd love to hear what's something for you. Mm. So I'm looking at my relationship with my emotions. I've always been taught to be rational, not emotional. That was the affirmation my dad gave me growing up. So every time I would cry, he's like, I can't hear you when you're crying. So I'd be like, okay, like, don't cry. People can't understand you. And I would like, you know, as a kid, you throw these fits and then they like literally would just like not respond. So I'm like, okay, if I'm emotional, I won't receive love. So I've been really taught and trained myself. And I think being a Capricorn on top of that is not feel my feelings and not be in touch with my emotions. So I'm doing a lot more work into why that is and stepping more into feeling it all, feeling the excitement as well as feeling anger or sadness or whatever is underneath it. And then another thing that I write about in the book is the people pleasing, the like wanting people to like me. Like I've done a lot of work around that. And when you put a book out there, what often happens is critics who are basically paid by Amazon to write bad comments on books go out and they can take something that's so vulnerable to you that you've spent like two years on and like rip it to shreds. So just like that vulnerability and also knowing that if I'm going to continue to grow, my criticism is going to continue to grow as well. So I got to take that piece of the puzzle with it because if I don't want anyone to dislike me, then guess what? I got to hide in the closet. And then they'll say, oh my God, Sahara just totally dropped everything and is hiding in the closet. So even that will create criticism. So it's dropping that. I mean, overwork. I got a lot of things I'm still working on. And that's the beauty of it. And I really, you know, one of the practices in the book is to share those five uncomfortable truths that you don't want people to know. And actually, that's an integral part of your dharma. It's what makes people relate to you and what makes them see that you're a human just like them. And even if they haven't experienced those exact same things, it helps them see you've gone through things just like I have. And that helps me see that you're a human too. Mm -hmm. And we're all on this journey together, doing the best that we can. We're all spiraling down. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So let's pretend you have a magic wand now and you could put one book in the school curriculum besides your books. They 100% should be in the curriculum. What is one book that you would choose? Mm, One book in the school's curriculum. Yes, of every high school around the world. Honestly, I would have them journal. 
Can that be my book? I feel like having a journal is really the book that will change your life the most of having a space that you can share and not be judged and to really realize what's underneath your thoughts. I really believe that will change your life more than anything. No one has ever said that on the show. Almost 400 episodes and you were the first person that has said that. And I absolutely agree. Having a regular journaling practice, it's self-therapy. Yeah. It is self-therapy. And that's what I realized early on in my journey that I could almost resolve the conflict within my own mind by just journaling out. I didn't need to go see a therapist. Sometimes you do feel like you need to talk things out with healers or therapists or shamans or whatever. But sometimes just sitting with your journal, you can get so much clarity and you don't need to go and see someone else to talk it out. So I really love that getting a journal and just having a journaling practice. My 14-year-old stepson, as you know, Leo, he's just spent the last six months away in the bush. It's part of his schooling and it's a rite of passage. They have no phones, no technology. They have to write us letters. They can't talk to us. We got like one Zoom per term with them. So we Zoomed him maybe twice and got to see him, which is amazing. But one of the things that they encouraged these boys to do, 14 and 15, was to journal. And they had to journal. And this is not a spiritual school. This is a mainstream, private, college boys school, like very sporty and academic. And they encourage the boys every night to journal and journal their thoughts and their ideas. They also had to do a three or four day, I can't remember off the top of my head, solo camping experience. So they had to go out in the bush by themselves for four days. And they had to journal every day about their experience. And I just think, wow, amazing. I wish I had have done something like that when I was in that very awkward 14, 15 year old phase. So I love that. That's such a good tip. And for anyone listening, it's not too late to pick up a journaling practice. And if you have kids, it's never too early. Buy them a journal and get them started. It's such a powerful practice and a beautiful ritual that will really support them emotionally for the rest of their life. Yes. In in my yogic path journal, which is the journal that I created, but a couple of the prompts if someone's like, I want a journal, but I don't know what to write are, today I learned, I love myself because... And just even in the morning, gratitude of the day, intention for the day. If you just do that, it doesn't have to be like a freaking sonnet or something. It could just be my intention today, my gratitude today, I learned, I am, et cetera. That is going to take you so far. And also if you're like, oh, I don't like writing things. I have writer's block. Another thing I do sometimes is record a voice note of myself talking, a voice note to the divine. I'm just like, you know, talking through whatever it is I'm going through because sometimes it can be faster to talk than it is to write down or your, you know, your hands hurt, et cetera. So even just recording a voice memo on your phone and talking out what it is that you're experiencing, you could do that every day. I love that. Yeah, I've done that too. It's so helpful. Again, self-therapy. It's amazing. Yes. And we'll link to your beautiful journal in the show notes as well, as well as all of your amazing books. We'll link to all of that. Let's talk about how your day looks now and in particular your morning routine. I love hearing about how successful people set up their days, how they structure their days. I know it's a bit different for you right now because you are in 
launch mode and you're doing back-to-back podcast episodes, but take us through a typical day in your life. What are your rituals, your routines? When do you eat? What do you eat? When do you meditate? Do you do yoga? Take us through a whole day in your life. Mm, Yeah. So I wake up, I write in my journal, I write in my yogic path journal, all of the prompts. I set my dosha for the day. So that's my intention of what dosha is today. My vata days are my creative days. My pitta days are my like action days. And my kapha days are like rest and recharge, which is typically like a Sunday or something. So I set my dosha for the day. I pull my yogic path card for the day. And yeah, I just really have an intention of the energy in which I'm going to carry. That's something that I learned when I was writing books and it was really hard for me to get super creative and then do all these like business calls and then like be creative again. I was like, okay, I can't be in these different fields in the same day. So if I'm like in my creative zone, I'm in my creative zone. So I do that. I drink my coffee elixir that I told you about. And then I'll typically listen to music and stretch. I I look through my phone. I reply to, you know, whatever texts may have come through. And then I exercise. For me, exercise is a non-negotiable. I need it. I need my body to sweat every day. Otherwise, my body hurts. I feel like I'm just like holding on to something. And I actually do it every single day. Some days I'll just do Pilates, but recently I've actually, and I do it videos online, like different, you know, YouTube videos or fitness people just in my house on a yoga mat. I have like my weights, but yeah, I've been really liking doing more like strength building and more intensity type of things. I was in a very big yoga bar phase and now it's that. And then if I feel I'm doing too much of that, I'll move for, I'll I'll move to something else, but I need to get my body to a point of Ugh, I released whatever it was I was holding on to. And then I love to, if I have time, do breath work after that. So I have this practice that kind of made it up. It's called goddess breath work. So it's like a breath work practice of inhaling through your nose, exhaling through your mouth, but you're making circle motions with your chest. The reason why it's circle is because the divine feminine energy moves in circles. It undulates, it spirals. So you're breathing in exhaling out while you're doing circles seated on the floor, kind of like the Sufi swirl in like Kundalini yoga, if you know what I'm talking about, but it's a little bit more like you can grunt, you can make sounds. It's more like primal. And I'll do that. And then I'll hold it on the top for 10 seconds and then exhale it all out and kind of like a Wim Hof for however long I can. And I'll do three rounds of that. And then I'll do my meditation. And then the meditation, I love to do playful meditations, to be honest. I love a rainbow meditation, my womb meditations, my unicorn meditations. I love just something that's like going to put me into a great state. Wait, wait, wait. What's a rainbow meditation? What's a unicorn meditation? What are these? (laughs) So I just teach all these like meditations that I like channel because I just love, I love unicorns and rainbows and mermaids and fairies and all of the things. So for example, with a rainbow meditation, I'll picture the different colors of the rainbow and like I'm going through them. So like the color red and everything's red around me and orange, et cetera, orange peach, orange this, orange flower, like imagining different things of that color. The unicorn one, or actually I'll do the dolphin one a lot, that I actually imagine myself riding a dolphin and I'm going through the ocean and I'm like underwater and I'm visiting the coral reefs and all the things and I'm like on my dolphin ride. (laughs) Something playful that I'll just love and put me in a good mood. You know, I did the TM training too. I just couldn't do it. (laughs) I'm just like, I want it to be, 
I think for me, I'm just a very embodied person. So if there isn't an element of the body, my mind will just like go off. So feeling like I'm riding my dolphin to Lemuria. And then from there, usually I will just get a spark of, I need to do this or that needs to happen or something like this that will guide me. Like sometimes I have podcasts and calls, but on a day that I don't, I really let my inspiration guide me of, I want to write this or I want to do that. And I try to have at least one of those days a week where it's really letting whatever is going to come through to come through. I also have to get on my Slack channel and reply to shit and reply to emails and that type of thing. But I'm continually working on how can I make that the most fun possible and hire other people whose dharmas are to do those things that I don't love to do as much so I can really be in my visionary role. So I kind of flow, like I work continuously throughout the day, often around 7 p.m. or so. I will either like eat and chill or I'll do my tribal fusion belly dance videos. And tribal fusion belly dance is a style of belly dancing that incorporates different tribal forms of dancing from African dance to Balinese. Indian, etc. And yeah, I mean, I really like finding cool like African dance videos on YouTube and watching those. So I try to create as like embodied and playful as a life as possible. I realized in myself, I'm like, where do I feel the happiest? Okay, it's in Bali. What do I love about Bali? And now I've just like tried to make my life those things. I love that. Yes. And for anyone who follows you on Instagram, they'll know how much joy dance brings to you. And it's just watching you dance brings me joy. And I'm the same. I just, I love dancing and I love that feeling. So you definitely inspire me to do more of that. So I love your day. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Queen. Yay. All right. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? One thing you can do for your health is to let go of the expectation of others. Oh, yes. And ourselves. And yourselves, which is often something you're holding on to that doesn't even come from you because you are whole as you are. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Okay, what's one thing that we can do for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Trust the unique expression that is coming through you because only you can create that. And if you honor that, you will live your most abundant life. Mm, Beautiful. I love that. And what is one thing that we can do today for more love in our life? To give it to really give that love in which you desire. So if you want more physical touch, physical touch your partner, if you want more words of affirmation, send five people you love a really beautiful text. But, you know, so often we are like, why aren't I getting loved and acknowledged and recognized? And it's like, how often are you doing that for others? And not with the expectation of now they owe me one too, but genuinely because it feels just as good to give as it does to receive. 100%. I remember years ago catching myself being like, why isn't Nick just like giving me touch all the time? I love touch. Touch is my love language. Like, why can't he just stroke me? And then I'm like, why don't I just do it to him? Why don't I give? And I actually get so much out of stroking his hair and stroking his back and giving him a massage. Like, it really does fuel me to give in that way. So, whatever you want, give to the other person or people. And you will feel full when you do that. Mm, Absolutely. 
Is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about that I haven't asked you about? I think that everything that we said was exactly what was meant to come through. And there's so much more in the book. I feel like if people are like, I want more action steps for my Dharma, I have a really great quiz they can take called the dharmaarchetypequiz.com. Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A, archetypequiz.com. And if you take that, it will tell you your top two archetypes in relation to your Dharma. So are you the teacher, the nurturer, the warrior, the activist, the visionary, et cetera? There are nine of them that I've come up with in this book. So that's going to give you a really great place to start. I feel like for me, learning about my different archetypes have always given me so much more empowerment into really being who it is that I truly am. So head over to that quiz, take it, and then you can learn more in the book. The book is available all over. And if you submit your receipt on my website, iamsaharrose.com slash dharma, you'll be able to get these epic bonuses, including my Discover Your Dharma meditation, tapping practice, embodiment practice, and so much more. So that's iamsaharrose.com slash dharma. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well for everything that we've mentioned so far in the show. It's all in the show notes. Just go there and check that out. It is such an incredible book. My number one archetype was teacher. Oh, perfect. So you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I see you having, you have teacher, nurture is really like coming up for you as a mom. Visionary, you definitely have. Entrepreneur, you have, but it's more Nick's than yours. Yes. He's the driver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I feel like you have some artist maybe too. Yeah, for sure. It's so beautiful. I loved that quiz. It was really beautiful. So I think what you've created is so incredible. You are helping so many people. You are serving so many people with your books, your podcasts, your social media, everything that you do, you are helping other people. So How can I and the listeners serve you? How can we give back to you today? Oh, so sweet. And it's like amazing because you live your life like wanting to just like do that very thing, your dharma to help people. And then you find your own way of doing it. And it can be a way that you enjoy. So thank you for reflecting that back. Honestly, the best support is just to to get the book, to share the book, you know, right now with 2020 being the year of the greatest job loss in modern history, there's a great opportunity in this. And this is people to live a life more in alignment with their dharma, their purpose. My husband lost his whole company, works in the music industry. And I know how sad and how scary that can be. And there's an opportunity in that to redirect, to see, okay, how is it that I do want to serve? Did I really even like the role that I was in formerly? So This is the most important time in our history for people to discover their dharmas. And you just never know by passing this book along to one person, the ripple effects it could have not only on themselves, but their family, their children, and everyone in which they touch. So we're all here on this mission together. And I'm just so honored to to be here and so honored to be here on the podcast. Thank you for giving me the space to share about this. Mm, Pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. And I'm so excited for everyone to get this book. And Another thing that I think would be a really cool idea is Discover Your Dharma Book Club. You know, you and I have spoken about this many times before offline, but doing a book club, getting your girlfriends together, all buying the book and doing this book together and supporting each other and holding space for each other 
it's such a beautiful thing to go on a journey. And ultimately, we all want connection. We all want community. We thrive in it. So grabbing five or 10 of your friends or even two, you know, whatever, and getting the book and doing it together is such an incredible way to hold each other accountable for living your soul's purpose. So make sure if you do do that, tag Sahara on Instagram so she can see your book club. Because I know when people do that for me with any of my books, I love it. So do that for Sahara as well. And make sure you follow her on Instagram and we'll link to everything in the show notes. But it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, to share your wisdom, to watch you start from the very beginning of this book and to have you in my life every day. I'm just beyond grateful to have you as one of my soul sisters, to be able to mastermind with you every two weeks, to just have you in my life. You are such a light. You're such an expander for so many people. And I truly hope that this book just gets into every single person's hands that need it and it just goes on this beautiful adventure of its own. So thank you for being you, for sharing and for coming on the show today. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you so much. And on the topic of book club, we actually have a bonus that if you get four books, you'll get an entire guide to create your own book club, questions to ask, videos, everything. So yeah, that's you've read my mind. We have that available. And one thing that I write about in the in the book is to create your own Dharma support circle, like the mastermind that we have of, of meeting every two weeks. So if people are wanting more info on that, how to find their people, my community Rose Gold Goddesses, we actually have a group that you could find your own Dharma support circle and find other people who are doing this work and, and link together and support each other and and really embodying your dharmas and taking action so thank you again for being an expander for me for being such a beautiful friend you're someone who cares so deeply you're someone who really shows up you're someone who really checks in on people and it really goes acknowledged and is so valued so thank you for being you and love you so much oh i love you too my darling thank you for being here i loved today's episode. Not only because I love Sahara, but she is just a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I just loved everything she shared. And I hope you did too. And if you did, please subscribe and leave me a review on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. And speaking of review of the week, I want to read this week's review. And it's a five-star review titled Manifesting My Dream Life from Eb Goldsack. And Eb says, I loved listening to Melissa and Ange talk about how to manifest my dream life. I love the connection they shared and their willingness to share what works for them. I got so much out of this episode that I have written and recorded my dream day, ready to listen to every day so I can manifest my dream life. Keep up the great work, Melissa. Thank you so much, Eb, for that beautiful review. I'm so grateful. And as a little thank you, I want to give you one of my top four favorite products, and that is a hydrogen health pack. So all you have to do is email hello at melissaambrosini.com with your address, and I will send that over to you. 
And don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love, love, love reading them all. And for everything that Sahara and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. That's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 379. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. <laughs>